It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. I am your host, Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out all of our other wonderful links in the description on the link tree. This week's episode, Accidental Truth UFO Revelations with Ron James. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Tonight we have a special guest, Ron James who is a director, a producer, a writer, and many, many other things. I looked up your resume this morning, and I was quite impressed, I have to say. <laughs> so one thing that caught my attention is you're actually, a, you co-found the uh, MUFON TV, is that correct? Yeah, I started, uh, it's, a, it's a joint venture between my production company and MUFON, uh, MUFONtelevision.com. It's an online uh, um, repository of exclusive ufo related content that we've built over the years yeah i looked on there briefly and there seems to be quite the collection of videos there's a lot of stuff on there yeah it's been really successful and we're going to be uh creating an entire section of the website around the film the accidental truth film so people that uh sign up for mufon television or join mufon will be able to access all of a whole slew of new content yeah, that's great. I didn't even really know about it before I looked at it earlier. So I'm definitely interested in checking that out now. It's that's uh, very cool. It's really, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, did I say, <laughs> I might have skipped that part. Yeah. We're here to talk about uh, Ron James's new UFO documentary called Accidental Truth UFO Revelations. I think I skipped that part. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's, I knew we'd get to it sooner or later. Yeah, that's kind of important. Uh, this is, I don't even know where to begin. There's just so much information packed into this movie. And there's a lot of really good stuff in there, too, that a lot of people don't really talk about, like the Bullender memo. When I saw that, I kind of got excited. I was like, yes, they're actually he's actually talking about documents and stuff. Because that's sort of my jam. You know, I love looking up that old stuff. My first question to you would be actually, so what, what got you interested in the UFO topic? Like, did you have a sighting yourself? Or are you just sort of interested in it in general? Well, I, you know, I decided with my production company a long time ago that I didn't want to just do, you know, meaningless media. And there was, a, I've always been fascinated by UFOs, but somebody, uh, Stephen Bassett actually hired me uh, back in, I think it was 2007, to uh, hire my production company to go and live stream and videotape one of his conferences in DC. It was an X conference back then. And, um, you know, I just, it's, Hearing what these people were saying and getting to know some of them, I'm, I was like, you know, this is like the biggest deception in human history. There's not a lot of other things out there that are more important to get to the bottom of. And so for the last few years, uh, going on 15 years now, I've been, uh, you know, interviewing people. I've been making TV shows and, and films and, and documenting stuff. And then Accidental Truth, the... It, I just realized that I was sitting on some pretty explosive material and it was time to put it into my latest thing. And that's what this is. Yeah. And you do paint a pretty compelling narrative as far as, I mean, you put together a lot of stuff that's, I think I thought was fairly convincing as far as the argument you were trying to make. I think one of the, coolest, yeah, you know, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the, the film is like, if I was an attorney putting forth the case, uh, in front of a jury, this this is this is what I what I put forth, and I tried not to have anything in the film that doesn't have some kind of evidentiary trail. Most mostly government documents and conflicting statements, and just uh, you know, a lot of people are finding themselves trapped by their own words. Yeah, and there, like I said, there's so much stuff in here. I found myself constantly rewinding because there's a lot of stuff I hadn't heard of before. So I had to rewind and say, Robert Bigelow said what, <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that, that's one of the interesting reveals. And, you know, the thing that I really like about this film is that we were able to point out that we're being told a complete lie now, as far as 
you know, how things unfolded in the government's interaction with the UFO field. And, but, and, and we were able to actually have some of the people that are participating in this story. But we never in the film do we point out that somebody's not being truthful. And we never in the film denigrate anybody, attack anybody, or villainize anybody. Um, but at the same time, it's painfully obvious what's going on. So right. um, you know, that's why it's called accidental truth, because nobody, nobody, want, nobody is willing to tell us the things that if you watch the film, you realize they're telling us anyway. Yeah, sometimes if you read between the lines, I find when I look through old documents, like let's say the Blue Book files, if you read between the lines, you can find some really interesting stuff in there, for example. But so one of the coolest things about this movie is actually the narrator is narrated by Matthew Modine. He's the guy who played uh, Dr. Brenner or Papa in Stranger Things, among other roles. I thought that was really cool because I'm a huge fan of that show. Yeah, you know, Matthew was a was a happy accident, and um, uh, he came in and just added a dimension to the project. I went to New York, and 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 we spent two days in the studio together, and uh, really got along. And he's been super supportive of the film. He likes the way it turned out, and it's it's really kind of an interesting coincidence. We have a guy who played a government scientist running a secret program, um, narrating a documentary about governments running secret programs <laughs> and, and then to ice the cake the dude is in the upcoming movie oppenheimer uh he has a you know it's an ensemble cast and he has a supporting role and he plays vanover bush oh no kidding <laughs> yeah so people a lot of people don't know that so not only did he play the scientist running the secret government program he's playing somebody who is allegedly a member of mj12 so yeah. that's just hilarious yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and I had breakfast with him, and I told him about that because he, he, you know, he didn't know about he did a lot about UFOs. He has had a, he has seen something, uh, which made it which made him interested in the topic. So he has had an experience. I haven't really uh, had that kind of thing happen. I've been more of a journalist, just going after some of these subjects. But yeah, I told him all about MJ12 and Vanover Bush, and he got a real kick out of it. And so yeah, it's um it's just wonderful to have him part of it. Yeah, he was, he was really good in the role, too. I thought he did an excellent job. I'd like to read the quote from the very beginning of the movie because I think it's pretty powerful, and I think it'll give people a really good idea of what it's all about. So the quote that starts it all off is, an, ac me. an accidental truth is what, this is. I think this is what's on the screen, I think, right? Oh, okay. I thought yeah, you were yeah. talking about the very, very beginning quote where I'm talking about the, but go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, the one that's on the screen I thought was really good. Um, what well, the beginning, what you said was good too, but I mean, this was, this caught my attention. An accidental truth is what happens when a combination of statements and evidence lead to an inescapable conclusion that was not originally intended to be revealed. And that's sort of the thesis of the whole movie. I felt like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm the one that came up with the title and I'm the one that wrote that. Well, I wrote the whole thing, but yeah. Um, yeah. So hearing somebody that's actually been through the film and has watched it because you know truthfully i'm terrified petrified it's been out a few days i don't i don't i don't know the numbers i don't know what people how people are receiving it and so whenever i talk to somebody that's actually seen it and really likes it it's just i'm thankful and i'm gratified that, that you like it yeah what, is, oh, oh yeah ahead, sorry. sorry i was gonna say one of the one of the things i really liked about it is so i've seen a lot of these movies a similar vein documentaries about UFO type stuff. Quite a lot of them I would put more into the entertainment category because they're not really talking about actual evidence. They're just talking about fun stories. But yours pieces together like actual real evidence to create the narrative to make this to make this argument rather than wild stories that may or may not be true. So that's one of the things I really liked about it. And you talk about everything. You talk about witnesses you talk about a lot of the big players like just some of the people in the movie are like ralph blumenthal lou elizondo richard dolan jimmy church david fravor james fox dr michelle kaku just on and on and on that's just a there's so many people that are you know authoritative figures so it's like it's it's like substantial it's not one of these documentaries where you come away thinking Eh, whatever, maybe it's, it's one of the ones where you think, okay, now that that's kind of convincing me. There's really something going on here. That's what I liked about it the most. 
I want you know, there's plenty of people out there making films about about UFOs that are um, you know conjecture, and I wanted to make because of my affiliation with MUFON, I'm also their media relations director, and we're dedicated to the scientific understanding of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. And I wanted to make a film that was completely supported by at least some kind of anecdotal evidence. In, in most cases, it's, it's fully supported by actual government confessions um, that, that have either been overlooked or that people uh, just didn't think were important at the time. So everything in the film is, is about establishing this. And the, and the main uh, thrust of the film is proving that the new story that we're being told, which is that, you know, nothing was going on between Project Blue Book and the beginning of, of the uh, programs that Elizondo was involved in, that there was nothing going on. And we're peeling away that onion skin and we're showing you, well, absolutely, there were things going on. These are some of the people that were doing it. Uh, these were some of the organizations that were doing it. And these are some of the things that, that they found. And, and, you know, we're just being lied to about the past because it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very inconvenient past. And, and, you know, they can't really be in a position to take accountability for what they've done. Yeah, it's so strange. And earlier on in the movie, you start talking about like the Tic Tac sightings, which what, what was, when did that come out? 2017, I think. 2017, yeah. Yeah. And that's, they did a total 180. Before then, they said that, yeah, we're not studying it. It's all nonsense ever since basically 1970, right? But then yeah. all of a sudden, they did this 180. And I haven't, why would they do that? It's so weird that they would all of a sudden go in this completely different direction with this stuff. Well, you know, Lou Alexander was, was wanting to come out. There's two different camps on this. One is that, that Elizondo and Mellon and all the guys that rolled out with TTSA, this was all part of an organized, um, agreed step toward disclosure, and that it was very carefully planned, and it's being managed by people at the deepest levels uh, who are deciding what can be shared and what can't. And then, you know, Ralph Blumenthal, who broke the story, he's of the opinion that, no, none of that happened. I'm definitely somewhere in the middle, um, <laughs> because... It's no coincidence that the TTSA was already formed and ready to roll out uh, to the Stars Academy with Tom DeLonge and, and gang. This was all ready to go um, when that story broke. So there was a certain amount of coordination. And, you know, Lou, certain, we, we point out in the film that, you know, when you're this deep in the intelligence community, um, you're, you're never not working. You might be retired, you might be done, uh, but you're, you are always a part of a very special family and you're going to do whatever you're told to do. Yeah, that's for sure. That's, I would agree with that. One interesting thing about the Tic Tac video, the, the first Tic Tac video was actually leaked, I think back in 2004 on the above top secret forums. Mm -hmm. And you, you can actually go find like the original thread. And it's kind of funny because Nobody on there believed it. They all thought it was a fake video. <laughs> but, you know, years later, you know, 2017, this comes out and it blows everything up. It's, it's kind of funny just to see, you know, and I think that's because everybody on those forums, they're just so jaded because of what the government's done over the, over the years with ridiculing the topic. But now they're coming out and we have, you know, new stuff every day where, you know, they're having congressional hearings and all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, you know, we were involved weird. in those congressional hearings. The uh, MUFON has been working with a lobbying firm in Washington, D.C., and we're doing a lot to move this ball forward. The original congressional hearings that Andre Carson sh uh, chaired that, that are in the film, we were, uh, we were the ones behind the scenes pushing them to do that, and Andre agreed to do it. I just had lunch with Andre Carson about two months ago, sat right next to him for an hour, and we really talked turkey about UFOs. It's kind of disappointing to see that. Um, that you know publicly these guys um, still even in the hearing that just happened a couple days ago they can't come out and talk about the things that we know they know because we've told them we've had meetings with over 300 meetings on capitol hill with with sitting members of congress and their staffs we've we're, we're providing briefings now to the house and senate intelligence committee and um to, and we're a serious civilian component in all of this and so we know that the, what we're seeing on tv it's just like it's hard to watch yeah and you show in the movie there's so the congressional hearings they had two parts to it they had the public side and then the the non-public side and right. there were some foia requests 
to get some documents from that. And they were like all redacted. Like the whole thing is completely. just black. Yeah. yeah. Completely redacted. Which I mean, you'd think there would be like a the in there somewhere that they could show us, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's scary? Remember Marco Rubio was just all over this topic. I mean, he was he was practically making it a, a campaign um uh, issue. But then after he walked out of that classified hearing, he didn't say anything early at all ever again about ufos it's kind of weird yeah that is maybe like he got the answer in there I, yeah. I i i'm of the belief that that um it's a lot easier to get somebody to agree to keep a secret than it is to force them to keep a secret and if the if you're told something that in your own mind justifies and makes sense why uh the secrecy needs to continue and you agree with it and you understand it, you're going to keep that secret. Uh, and, and you're not going to be like, you know, wishing you could reveal it. So I'm just wondering what these guys were told that made them largely clam up and kind of backtrack. And now they're, you know, they're supporting this new narrative story. Yeah. I wonder if a big part of it is that the government believes that the knowledge of extraterrestrial visitation would be very disruptive to society. And that's, the, that's pretty much the only reason why they're covering everything up. Do you well, think you know, that that might the be the saying, case? Yeah. Well, they've been saying that for years. I mean, you know, that's what the Robertson panel concluded. Um, but I think that for one thing, pretty much everybody knows the government's lying about the extraterrestrial or if it's even extraterrestrial, we, that, that we don't know in the public yet. It could be any number of things, as I point out in the film. Um, so anyway, I'm not saying that it's not an extraterrestrial element to it. I, I personally believe that there is, but there's also other things happening. But that used to be the story, what, what you're saying, you know, well, they're not going to disclose because it'll disrupt religion, it'll disrupt society, it'll, it'll just cause all kinds of chaos. And I think the biggest thing at this point that it would disrupt is the power structure of who's of who's running the planet because everything on planet earth is based on um monolithic oligarchy kind of situations uh with uh with you know the global elite and they're all maintaining that control through energy and if there was some kind of technology that would um give us free energy like dr greer says um then that would change everything and it would dethrone these people. So if that's why they're keeping it a secret, that's a tragedy and, and it could even be a crime against humanity. But the other thing is, is how would people react? And I used, there used to just be a generic answer to that. Oh, I think we're ready. But honestly, I think it's going to be the context of, of it that determines how we'll react. If the government were to come out and say, so it's not as simple a question as it used to be. If the government were to come out and say, okay, yes, there is a non-human intelligence engaging us. We don't really know that much about them. We don't know what they're doing. Uh, they don't seem to want to bother us. We're not bothering them. We've had brief encounters and communication, but, you know, life goes on. Everybody's going to go, yeah, we knew it. Okay, whatever. And they're going to go back to their lives. But, and it's not going to have some earthquake of, a, of tremors through society. But if the, if the revelation is something more along the lines of, you know, there's, any number of non-human intelligence engaging us. Uh, we're not sure the intentions of some of them. They clearly have technology that we cannot compete against. And, uh, you know, they might not be friendly. And maybe this is going to happen or maybe that's going to happen. Well, then that's, that's when a, you have a much bigger earthquake happening through society and civilization because, it's a, because it does become a threat. So the response to... A broader disclosure is really going to be based on the context of what it means, not so much that it is being made. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that makes total sense completely. Uh, one, one thing I, I always speculate on myself is, could it be that, let's say hypothetically, if this is soft disclosure, because we're making huge leaps and bounds in detecting exoplanets and we're finding mm -hmm. more than we ever thought before. And if we found let's say just a bacteria somewhere on another planet or evidence of that, because it would leave a signature in the atmosphere, then that would be pretty big news. So maybe it's also, you know, just a different way of looking at it. It could be like a soft disclosure thing because they're sure that we're going to find life pretty soon. What that well, see, that's, next five years. Yeah. You're right. That's the other thing to, to think about because as um, you know, commercial uh, companies are in, are entering space, uh, 
and then we have the, the new telescope. And it basically, it's, it's a time when it's going to be really impossible to, to cap the secret for much longer if, if it is indeed a secret. You know, there's going to be more and more people on the moon. Uh, there's going to be uh, civilians going to Mars. Um, and, the, and then, you know, we have the, you're right, we have the Webb telescope and it's, it's going to be able to detect. I mean, if they find a planet with lights on it, that's it's game over. So they're, they're up against technology, commercialization, and discoveries that can't be hidden. They're, they're in a race against time for that. They've got to get something out in front of us, and they've got to get out in front of it uh, before there's incontrovertible evidence, and then they just have to scramble around and figure out how to answer for what they already knew. So they've made up a nice new story. It's it's shiny. It's just like the one we got 70 years ago. It explains everything. It wipes out accountability and it prepares us for the next big announcement, which could very well be, oh yeah, we found bacteria on Mars or you know whatever. Um, but are we ever going to really get the whole story? Uh, we're no, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to talk about. Actually, that you mentioned in your movie is the new narrative that you mention. And this is this is like part of the 180 thing, but you list four items in the movie that is part of the new narrative. Yeah. How do you th- yeah, how do you think that fits into what, you know, what's going on? Well, everybody's playing along. Um anybody in any position of authority is is echoing the new narrative. I, I go to point out right after I describe what the new narrative is, which is basically uh, the government's had nothing to do with UFOs since the conclusion of Project Blue Book. Uh, we're dedicated to finding out what those what these things are, uh, if they're a threat or not. You know, we're really going to pay attention. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, there's a couple other ones I don't have right in front of me, but um, the, the bottom line is that they said this stuff 70 years ago. It's almost like they didn't even bother to hire a new screenwriter. The same comments came out of government before. And the new narrative basically said it, it, it exists to whitewash everything before the ATIP program so that they don't have to admit all the stuff they've been doing for the last 70, 80 years uh, and, and all the reverse engineering and all the materials analysis and all the technological uh, explorations that, that have come of, as a result, I believe, of recovering you know, advanced craft and possibly biology. And so... They're just wiping that all away. And accidental truth is about, you know, hold on, you guys don't get to do that. And and then we go on to point out that, that it's just not true. Right. And you you provide pretty good evidence of that. I think you mentioned in the sh- in the documentary, you mentioned the Bullender memo, which is a document that was released when they closed down Project Blue Book, and that gives us pretty much gives us proof that they continued to study UFOs. Well, it not only does that, but it proves that they that they had a, a, a concurrent program that was running the same time. And then we have, you know, Paul Hynek, who's JL and Hynek's son, and he's talking about this, and 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 Don Schmidt, who who knows about this stuff too, uh, that you know, basically Project Blue Book was a smokescreen. It wasn't a real thing. It was there to appease the public, and there was an entire other organization that, when Project Blue Book was out doing the stuff that the public was watching, this other organization was doing the real investigations and they were way more sophisticated they were way better funded and we did we didn't know that they existed but we know now and, and we even know what they were called um and and so yeah the even back then the whole thing was just a big dog and pony show and we proved that and then we go on to they never quit studying the stuff and then we go on to uh you know, finding actual documents that, that reveal some of the stuff that they've studied and some of the things that have come out of, of that era. Yeah, and if anybody's curious to prove this to themselves, all you have to do is go look through the old Blue Book files, and there'll be like a, a summary card, and it'll say, oh, it was just Venus or a weather balloon. But then when you read the actual witness statement, they'll say, you know, I saw a cigar-shaped light moving back and forth at high speeds or whatever the, say, the sighting was. And the description on the front bears zero resemblance to the actual witness statement. It's, it's very, very common in the files. So we know that it was just a front. If you just read through the files, it's very obvious. Yeah, and you know, poor J. Allen Hynek, he 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 did not want to be participating in that. He did though. He he did participate in it for a while, until he just got frustrated with the whole situation. And then, 
he was very frustrated in his life. I've had several conversations with his son. He's, he's actually a friend of mine at this point in time. And um, the fact that he could not get read in to a program, to, to the truth behind a program that he was a key principal in running. I mean, he took that, that frustration to his grave. Yeah. And you can see that too. Like I said, reading through the files, one of the ones we've talked about before is the Michigan swamp gas. And if you read through that report, it's almost like it's written by two different people. There's, there's the part of the report that's written by, by Heineck that says it was nothing. It was just swamp gas, whatever. But then there's a part of the report that says, I have problems with this being swamp gas and I don't think it was swamp gas. So it's, the mm -hmm. report contradicts itself. It's really weird. It's like it was written by two different people almost. And that's kind of like what you're saying that it seemed yeah. like he was really frustrated. Yeah. And you know, there's some people have I've read a couple of people, you know, making comments on YouTube and stuff. And they're like, well, we we've heard all this before. And for the hardcore UFO community, I do apologize that the first part of the movie is a bit of a history lesson. Uh, but even on that, I tried to make sure that I came up with fresh stuff. I mean, that interview with Edgar Mitchell, where he talks about his personal investigation, nobody's ever seen that interview before. I shot it before he passed away. Um, and he, and he talks about this stuff. So there's, there's nice stuff in the beginning of the film, but I wanted to make something that if you did, if you know nothing or little about the UFO topic, I'm always asked what would be the film I could watch or the book I could read that would, that would bring me up to speed. And so I, I, that was the film that I wanted to make. So for those people that get a little bored with the first 30 minutes, it's like, hold on, it's, it's, it's coming. Um, and truthfully, I tried to make it as entertaining as possible. Um, it's very tightly edited. It drops a lot of information quickly, but we're dealing with short attention span theater now. And so yeah. that was kind of by design. Yeah. And I didn't think it was boring at all myself. There was some stuff in there that I was familiar with and things that I had seen before or read about before. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you have to start at the beginning when you're doing something like this. You can't start in the middle. Otherwise, it's not going to make any sense. You know, you're you're building a story or an argument. So you have to build the argument. You can't just start at the punchline, you know. You know, with the uh, when I first started the project, I, I I nailed it up on the wall with post-it notes and it, it kind of outlining, you know, what the sections were and what they were going to reveal. And this was before I had Gary Nolan and before I had Ralph Blumenthal and before I had um, Dr. Michio Kaku. And even bringing those guys in before I had Congressman Tim Burchett, even bringing these guys into the film, which was added after I got the contract to make it and blah, blah. Because I, it just kept getting bigger, and I just kept wanting to make it better and better. Um, but even after bringing those guys in and, and plugging them into the film, I look at these post-it notes, and it's still it's still the same film that from from two years ago, writing little notes on a pen and sticking them on the wall. So I, that's that's something very that I find I enjoy that fact, you know, because I, I, I had a vision for it, and, and that vision got achieved. Yeah, it's I think it it turned out great. To move on to a different topic, uh, one thing that's often discussed that you sort of you mentioned, I don't think you discuss you discuss this specifically, but there you talk about a tip, and one thing that always makes me wonder is they use the word threat. So it's it's this word that some people speculate that they use it to sort of drum up financing to make it seem scarier. Other people speculate that there really is a threat that they want to address. Do you have an opinion on that? Well. You know, like uh, I keep referring to Dr. Greer and his his stance on that. He, he's really against the fact, this whole threat narrative for a whole variety of reasons. I don't always agree with 100% of, of that, but I think that, yeah, that you are not going to get serious politicians, guys in Congress that don't want to be looking like they have tinfoil hats unless you can prove to them that there's a genuine reason to look at this. And, and threat, potential threat is a genuine reason. Now, has it been misused? Is there genuinely a threat? Well, we don't know. We don't know if there's a threat. Um, apparently, there's not a major threat because we're still here um, and, and we're not knowingly subjugated. But, um, you know, the threat narrative has served, served well. And if you look at the movie, you know, the back in the 1950s, they were saying the same thing. This may be a threat and we've got to look at it. And, you know, the question that you're left with after that initial section where, where you see this comparison between 70 years ago and today with people in similar positions saying the same exact things is if they really did what they said they're going to do, 
1953, we wouldn't be having this discussion now. <laughs> it's like if they're yeah. dedicated to getting to the bottom of it, then are we expected to believe that they just said that and then never did anything? Right. No, it is. Yeah. Like they had the, for example, the Condon committee where everybody thought, okay, we're finally going to get some answers. And then it turned out to be basically a nothing burger, at least, you know, mm -hmm. from the public's perspective. And that's like what we had more modern times. That's what we had with, you know, the congressional hearings where it ended up being basically a whole lot of nothing. Anything interesting said was said behind closed doors. Yeah. Everything said to the public was stuff that we either already knew or was not really interesting in the first place. Although there were some pretty good sound clips from those hearings. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know the, well, because yeah. we were able to compare them when these guys are saying, oh, well, that's not under our purvey. Well, yeah. <laughs> who is it? And then we bring in John Alexander, who, who was one of the guys responsible for looking into like the faded giant nuclear issue with the missiles. And, um, and, and at the same time, we're showing these guys are denying that they know anything about it. We're bringing in one of the guys that did the actual work and can finally talk about it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really sad because, you know, what's happening is that ever since the story broke, there has been one UAP, the UAP task force, the this, the that, the new thing inside the DIA, the new thing over at the Pentagon. And they're throwing acronyms around and they're just building these little boxes and putting people in them and nobody's read into anything. Yeah, it's highly, I suspect it's highly compartmentalized, but even from the public perspective, it gets confusing to keep track of all this stuff. You got like the Space Force and then you got, you know, all these, like you're saying, all these different organizations and who knows what any of them do you know it's hard to hard to keep track of all of this stuff yeah and like the space force is something new that donald trump rolled out give me a break we had a space force a long time ago mike Ravel uh, let it slip at the citizen hearing on disclosure when i was filming that and that happened in 2012 you know it's, it's been part of the of the air force but there has we've always had a space force and um so you know it's just like there's so much bs that's that's going on with the whole situation i just want to try to clear the air a little bit and give people mm -hmm. uh, the opportunity to to kind of grok what's really going on i had a little joke before the hearings came out because accidental truth got released on the 18th and they had the hearings on the 19th so watch the movie first and you'll understand who's telling you the truth yeah oh yeah for sure one of the quotes from the movie that, I mean, there's just so much good stuff. We couldn't possibly cover it all here. But one of the quotes that really caught my attention was from Jack Northrup. And the quote in the movie is, saucers originating from this or some other planet were frequenting the space over this continent. A development has occurred at some other place or planet to the point of interplanetary aircraft propulsion. And that's coming from him. That's saying a lot. We're not talking about just some guy off the street here. And I, I had not heard that quote before. So that was, that really caught my attention. Yeah. And, you know, I found that and I, and I did my due diligence to make sure it was legit. It was, uh, it was from notes from somebody that visited Jack and he does preface it with, you know, kind of like, well, suppose it could be. And then he goes into to talking about it. So I think I put in there um, that, but yeah, back in those days, can you imagine how fascinating that must've been? Here we are 1947 at the dawn of technology, we're finished this world war, and all of a sudden something happens where we're looking at technology that we don't understand. Um, what it must have been like in those days to to receive that stuff, to be looking at that stuff, and to be a part of this whole infrastructure of cover-up, denial, and and deception that they've created. It, you know, it's just uh, it's a sad thing that, that it happened, but man, it sure would have been neat to be there. Yeah, it was different back then, I think. Like, one of the cases we looked at was the Lubbock Lights, and people were going out every night to look at these things, you know, whether or not it ended up being birds, which I don't think it was birds, but, you know, everybody was just really excited about the whole thing, and it was more of a cultural phenomenon, I think, mm -hmm. not just something for, you know, the tinfoil hat-wearing weirdos to discuss in back rooms or whatever, you know? It was, I think it was more culturally accepted, back then to, you know, not just to have sightings, but just to talk about it, uh, even at parties or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's another thing that modern people uh, don't really understand about the history of the UFO um, flap. It's been, UFOs have been big, bigger than they are right now, a few times in, in popular culture back, back around the, uh, the project blue book time. It, 
talk about UFOs was everywhere. Hundreds of books were written. Dozens of reports were filed. It was all over TV. When Travis Walton happened, that was a worldwide phenomenon that went on for a couple of years of just front and center headlines. So, you know, now we're saying, oh, wow, UFOs are suddenly popular. Well, they've been popular before. And and then, it, you know, it kind of dies down and then it picks back up and then it dies down. But um, society has always been interested. And if you go back and you watch these these traditional historical rise and falls of interest in UFOs, you'll see the government's playing the same role they're playing now. They're telling the same story from the same position, and then, and then it moves on. And what we're seeing with these hearings, especially the last one, is the sensationalism is getting sucked out of the room. There was a little bit with ATIP and Lou saying, you know, we might not be alone. Uh, and that created a huge stir, and they've been walking it back ever since. Um, and in the film, we make the case that the, uh, you know, the people that are against this information being released, they kind of had a chance uh, because of COVID and because of, of uh, the election turning out because everybody thought Hillary would be the disclosure president. Um, that the people that are against this information being made public had a chance to kind of regroup and, and, and get off their back feet and, and come back after some of this and, and try to tamp it back down. Yeah, it's... Yeah, like you're saying, it seems like the same pattern repeating over and over again. It's kind of strange, but I guess, you know, it's people forget. We don't remember something that happened in the 50s, you know, or the 60s. Because this, yeah, like you said, this has happened before. Yeah, it's happened before. Going back in time quite a ways, you mentioned the interplanetary phenomenon unit of the scientific and technical branch in the movie. Now, what was that? You say in the movie, why would they need that? That you know, was part of the Air Force? It was the Army. So, okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because we don't know very much about this group. It's not, there's no records. They say that they rolled the information into Project Blue Book, but there's no files from these guys in Project Blue Book. Every, every case in Project Blue Book is, is after Blue Book was announced. But we know and, and prove in the movie, it's not conjecture, that the uh, that right around the time of you know Roswell the incident and all this UFO stuff, you know Wright Patterson or I'm sorry not Wright Patterson the Roswell Army Airfield was where the the crash supposedly occurred. But then at the same time we're recovering from World War II. Then the Army is being split off into two groups now. It's going to be the Army and it's going to be the Air Force. And I mean by any. Uh, recollection this was a busy time these guys had their handful hands full but then in in the midst of all of this stuff going on they form a group called the interplanetary phenomenon research unit uh and and it's like why why did they decide why at that time did they need that especially when they were so busy and they had so many irons in the fire and so many balls to juggle they formed this group to study the interplanetary phenomenon research at the same time, they tell us nothing happened at Roswell and nothing happened at these other crashes. It's like it's almost proof in itself that that's a lie because they're you know they had very limited resources. What were they doing, and why were they doing it? Yeah, and Roswell is an interesting piece of the puzzle. It's it's one of these things where I kind of go back and forth on it because there's just there's so much stuff out there. It's hard to know what's what. But one of the most interesting things to me is how the Air Force brought it back with this argument that was easily disproven. For oh, example, they said disproven. that, yeah, yeah, like they said those those bodies that they found, oh, those were just crash test dummies that but, fell through time in order to, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So why would they come out with an article that's or a, an argument that's easily disproven? I mean, they're not stupid. So why why would they do that? I have no idea. It's, well, it's they, so they, they did it because they want to, you know, here's the thing that I believe about this cover up. Um, you can, you can be John Q public who doesn't really care. And you can believe everything you're being told by, by the government and by the, by these reports and everything else. But you know, there's also 40, 50,000 hardcore people here in the, in the U S or actually, I'm sorry, all over the world that really care about this topic. And I honestly believe that the truth has been made available to all of us that want to go look for it. And when the air force released that report, Roswell case closed, it was like, there you go, guys. We're totally full of shit. Can I say that? I'm sorry. So there you go, guys. Oh yeah, no, yeah. With this, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're totally we get, full of it. 
We're obviously full of it. Any intelligent person can tell that we're full of it. And so if you really want to do the thinking on it and you want to, and you want to put this through a thought experiment and you want to look at the logic of what we're telling you, we're basically admitting that Roswell happened. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I suspect that sometimes their explanations are so ridiculous, but I think psychologically some people, if they don't want to believe it, literally any explanation will suffice. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be, okay, I saw this weird thing and they say, it was just Venus or my favorite is a mirage of Canopus. Like, okay, well, that's not even a real thing, but sure. Why not? I don't want to believe that it's true. So I I wonder if that's part of what's going on is they're giving people a way out if, if they don't want to believe certain truths. Well, maybe. And then, then, you know, I, I also think that the information has been dripped out to pretty much Guys that are controlling this stuff have fed the UFO community, admittedly wrapped in disinformation, and you might get three pieces of paper and only one of them is true and the other ones are complete fakes, but they have not withheld this information from people that really, really care about it. If you're a passionate ufologist and and this this getting to the bottom of this topic means something to you, the very people that have been helping to guard this secret from the general public, they've been helping you figure it out. They really have. Yeah. Yeah. If you read between the lines, for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, sometimes it's not even so much between the lines. You know, I mean, look at, look at doc, what Dr. Gary Nolan is saying about, and Lou Elizondo said about the isotopic ratios of some of these materials. You know, it's, it's not that we don't know what they're made of because there's only so many elements in the universe and we know most of them already. It's how they were made and where they were made. And that's a pretty spellbinding confession. Yeah. Yeah, there's, in your movie, there are so many just like head exploding moments that it's hard to, like, it's like you said, it's very fast paced. (laughs) Yeah, like I I had to keep rewinding and say, what? Say what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thank you for doing that. You know, it's it's definitely a movie you got to watch more than once. And and one of the things that's really funny about it is, you know, the first time you watch it, you might be, oh man, like that guy is pretty cool. Those people are heroes. And then the more you watch it, the more you realize that, that, a lot of what is being said just isn't true. Um, but you don't, you don't know, you don't realize that right away. Yeah. So how does operation paperclip tie into all of this? Because we had a lot of important scientists come over under operation paperclip. Yeah. And, you know, we touch on that right, right after we talk about the interplanetary phenomenon unit, um, because I don't really have a way to prove the, you know, the Nazi technology, we mention it. In fact, there's even some old footage we found that supposedly shows one of these saucers being tested. And I wasn't able to find anything that debunks it. But the um, the story about what those guys did when they came over and, and all of that, we just don't know. Um, I didn't want to make a whole documentary about this because too much of it is conjecture. They're all in top secret stuff. I have a friend whose mother was an assistant to Warner Von Braun and he's a he's a, a MUFON state director and she told him that there was an underground base in the desert where they they did a ton of work she went there and all about the whole alien thing and and she told him this when he was a child and when he started repeating it at school the the government came and and um chastised her and and she had to tell him to quit talking about it and then later on in life she finally kind of told him more but yeah, I mean, it's a very, very detailed story. And so, you know, these guys are doing something, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that actually- It wasn't uh, just rockets. My- <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, definitely not. That actually brings us right to our my, the next question I had for you is you discuss reverse engineering in the film. And do you think that there's enough evidence to where you're convinced that we have reverse engineered some extraterrestrial spacecraft or or some sort of spacecraft? Well, I think that we've had- from what I've been able to gather, and, and it, you know, Eric Davis kind of says this in the movie, they have these things, and they've tried to study them for years. There, it, there was a time when there was funding for them. There's a whole paper trail across the internet of all the top aerospace companies talking about, you know, well, we tried to reverse engineer it, but we couldn't get anywhere. Um, they've been, uh, studies have been funded, and then the funding pulled because nobody made any progress. Um, I'm sure that we've pulled something out. Of it, you know, uh, maybe advances in in materials. Maybe that's where we're getting the stuff that helps with stealth. Who knows? Um, 
We've gotten something from the technology, but have we completely managed to reverse engineer the power plants and blah, blah, blah? We may have. Um, some people make that argument, but it's it's not bubbled up into the mainstream for whatever reason. Uh but the idea that they've had, they have this technology. It sits, it sits wherever it sits. Every few years, they they reapproach it with new knowledge. They bring in new people, and they try to get to the bottom of it. And so far, uh, progress has been limited. But um, you know, it's an ongoing process of trying to figure this stuff out. And then they're probably finding more stuff that we don't know about. Yeah, I could just imagine being a scientist trying to, you know, we're basically like apes poking it with a stick, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah. in the film, the, the um, John Alexander, who is, he's very important to the movie because this guy has been a front-facing dude, you know, working for the government, working for the military, going to UFO conferences and making friends with everybody and saying, you know, there's nothing to see here. And then finally, he comes out in the film and admits that the whole time he was saying that, he was actually running one of the the modern programs, and that, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But uh, they they've they were discovering flight characteristics of these uh, unknown craft. It displayed the same abilities as what we were seeing before with with the Elizondo program, but they were finding this 20, 30 years ago. And the admissions from John Alexander in the middle of the movie are off the charts. Um, it's it's just insane. And when you when you understand who this guy was and what he did in the military, um, you know he was he was one of those guys. And so um, I, I joke around. He's, if there was ever the guy that could tell you, but he'd have to kill you, it might be him. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth checking out for that part of it. It's like I said, there's so much in this movie that's just absolutely fascinating. It's, where does one even begin? You know, uh, one thing that was meant, another thing that was mentioned was the blue room at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, there, was you it? know, I don't want to give away the whole movie, but there was a, there, there's long been stories <laughs> that there was a room at Wright Patterson Air Force Base where they stored, uh, you know, extraterrestrial recovered stuff and that it was called the Blue Room. And a lot of people have tried to figure out if that was a true story. And we actually found some evidence that, that, yeah, that, that room existed. All right. We won't go too much into that then. Let's talk a little bit about just in general, because a lot of people probably don't know, but who is Robert Bigelow? Um, well, you know, Robert Bigelow is a billionaire real estate tycoon from Las Vegas. He made his money uh, creating budget suites for, I don't know if that's the exact name, but, you know, kind of like uh, working hotels for people that, that contractors and stuff could stay long term. Uh, made a lot of money, always had an interest in the paranormal. And, um, you know, then at some point he ran across the, the, the John Alexanders and the Hal Putoff and, and some of these other people. And they formed um, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, which went on to get a government contract, which became OSOP, which led into the project that Lou Elizondo was involved in. So Robert Bigelow is basically the civilian contractor that was um, that was awarded contracts to study weird stuff. And um, it started at Skinwalker Ranch. It, it attracted the DIA. They came over and, and threw some money at it. And, um, and, you know, it just went on from there. Yeah, it seems to be that he's got, like, a lot of fingers and a lot of different pies. He, his name pops up all over the place. You know, Robert Bigelow is the guy with the keys to the kingdom. And um, uh, it would be nice if, if at some point he opened the door. But... Um, now, I've got nothing but respect for Robert Bigelow, and for whatever whatever reason, he wants to he wants to say more than he is. Um, but I think he's gotten himself. I think he's gotten his hand slapped a couple times. Hmm. That's only my opinion. Yeah, he, um, because when he did sixty minutes, you know, it's right after that Bigelow Aerospace imploded. Um, they said it was because of COVID, and they had to lay off all their staff. But the fact is, is that their technology was cannibalized by a bunch of other companies. NASA didn't pay him money that they owed him. He had to sue them, um, and it was all just coincidentally right after he said aliens on sixty minutes, and. I had a conversation with some people close to Robert Bigelow who told me that that was not what happened, that it had nothing to do with his his appearance. But I, I'm not sure that that's accurate. I think that uh, – and then when the materials story dropped, it implicated him in that, and people started coming to him. It was just like, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't be – you know, the guy spilling the beans again. So this whole campaign was built 
to change the story about materials being studied at Bigelow Aerospace that, that well, we never actually had any of them, but we, but, but it was being reported for a really long time that they did have them. So, you know, which is it? And we, we give Robert Bigelow in the, in the, in the show interview he did with George Knapp, which, uh, um, I used in the film because I thought it was really important and I hope George isn't too mad at me because, um, <laughs> he didn't want me to use it, but, um, you know, we let Robert Bigelow answer that question himself. And his answer is it's one of those MasterCard moments, man. It's priceless. Yeah, there's you have some stuff. I won't say what it was because I don't want to give everything away, but you have some pretty, pretty interesting quotes by Robert Bigelow in the movie. <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah, some really and, cool and you stuff. know that you know that story, the or that old saying, the eyes tell all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. One thing I was wondering is, do you think that Roswell was the first crash retrieval? Because there are rumors that that was actually not the first crash retrieval. No, I think there were crash retrievals going back, you know, way back in recorded history. I mean, somebody cleaned up that mess in Texas where the the thing hit the hit the windmill. Um, that we still don't know what it was, and you know, it's interesting because. The legislation that was just passed, the Defense Act that had the whistleblower, not the whistleblower, I'm sorry, the Military Accountability Clause, it had a clause in it that demands that the Pentagon turn over to Congress all of its data about UAPs going back to 1945. Now, the original legislation, as it was written, demanded that they go back to 1947. Now, MUFON got to meet with the authors of this bill and we pushed for 1945 for just the reason you're talking about because you know roswell 47 we think there was other things that happened before that and we didn't want that 47 year to become a blurry line that could get fudged because it was this whole period so we got that change from 1947 and 1945 and that that was one thing that i can point to and and say with confidence that mufon was very uh involved in making happen oh nice yeah because we've talked about stuff like for example the foo fighters during world war ii that are definitely anomalous and i don't think that was saint El- saint fire which is the most you know i guess the most plausible skeptical explanation but yeah there's a lot of stuff that did happen pre-1947 mm-hmm. before kenneth arnold had his sighting yeah for sure yeah, and I mean, you know, the 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 Vatican, I didn't use it in the film, but Danny Sheehan is in my film. And during the very same interview, we had a long back and forth about his efforts um, with Jimmy Carter to get the Vatican to to open up their, their archives about UFOs. Um, he was part of a project inside the, the White House where he was working directly with, with Jimmy Carter's staff. And a direct request from the president danny took because he used to be the attorney for the jesuits so he was already plugged in at the top of the catholic church he took the request from jimmy carter to the vatican asking them to reveal the the information that they have in the vatican archives about ufos and the vatican just said nope not going to do it and um oh wow and and, you know they're they're sitting on the stuff that goes that predates modern history you know they're sitting on the 2000 year old stuff they're sitting on the on the on more information about the the early interactions where a lot of people think that um uh you know they've had their fingerprints on our evolution for a long time and so the the stuff that dates back to pre-1940s that i believe they're sitting on a lot of that that would be so interesting. I mean, to be able to if, go, they, if they didn't have anything, then why would they say, no, we're not going to share it? You know, if there was nothing right. to see here, they'd say, yeah, well, you know, it's not much here. This is what we've got. But they see that, you know, the, the, the churches have been involved in basically rewriting history um, for better or for worse. And so early on, the, the, they're, they're known to have taken historical information and hidden it away uh, and then reinvented the narrative. So, you know, they're the original uh people that, that were doing that back in the day the original science you know, the, the knights <laughs> templar and the people before them and the original popes and the, and and all of the all of these guys were you know they were, they weren't always good guys like yeah 
yeah, there's there's a whole history there that I'm not fully aware of, but I've read some of the stories and there's some crazy stuff that went on for sure. Yeah, I mean, I did. one question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! Oh, go go ahead. Sorry, I was I was going to move to a new. Yeah, topic. go ahead. I don't want to stay on the on the church thing. Okay, sure. You talk about, in the movie. You talk about metamaterials. I think a lot of people are confused about what that actually is. How would you describe metamaterials? Well, metamaterials is just a new class of materials that are able to do things that traditional materials don't do. Um, you know, rearrange their molecules, um, uh, have properties that that we don't know that we didn't previously know. It, it's just a new class of materials that describes advanced materials with advanced capabilities and. Um, that takes advanced technology to manufacture them, and so it's it's just a it's a catch catch basin for for new classes of materials. Okay, that makes sense. I, I hope everybody listening understands that because it's something that's often discussed, but it's not often um, gone into in any detail. Yeah, just because something's a meta material yeah. doesn't mean we don't know where it came from or it came from aliens or whatever. There's plenty of meta materials that, that are, that are called meta materials for, for the reasons I discussed that, that, yeah, we, we made them, we know where they came from. So just because something's called a meta material doesn't mean it's got some kind of unexplainable origin, but some of them do. Yeah. One of the interesting things that you point out is some of these studies that they did, you know, like aerospace applications of programmable material or all of these studies, we didn't get, uh, as far as I'm aware, we didn't get the actual studies, but we got a list of the titles of all these studies. Yeah, well, I mean, the, st the studies you, are public. The, the, the reports are, are public. There's about 1,500 pages in total. That was part of another Freedom of Information dump. I think John Greenwald was responsible for that one. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's out there. There, there was oh, there was a, a huge number of, of um, yeah because uh, you know that graphic that shows those reports going by those reports are available they're they're out there you can read okay them. Um, the, uh, the 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 gist of of that is you know we have these this stuff that bubbled up out of uh, out of Bigelow Aerospace and Ossop these reports and, and they were contracted to write these reports but where was the origin of this information and why are they even who who gave somebody the idea that you could uh, try to speculate about the technology behind traversable wormholes. You know, it's like, uh, who even thought that up? Well, nobody had to think it up because they saw evidence of it happening. And then they tried to figure out well, how, and that, and that's where these are right. coming from. And so people write off these reports. as just, you know, a bunch of people playing in science fiction land, but I don't think that's the case at all. I think that the, most of these reports are coming from the fact that they have discovered that this stuff is possible, even though we might be light years away from doing it. And these reports are speculating on how we might get there. But they didn't come out of, oh, wow, I wonder if there's a traversable wormhole. I have no evidence for that. What's a wormhole? We don't even know. But let's try to report about it with government money. Yeah, they don't tend to spend money on speculations. They tend to want results. Right? Well, you know, there are people that point their fingers at, at, at the Bigelow programs and just say it was all just a big, weird dog and pony show to chase werewolves across Skinwalker Ranch. But um, I, I don't buy into that myself. I think there's way more to it. Yeah. And there's too much plausible evidence. You do talk about Skinwalker Ranch in your movie. And there's, I think there's way too much to that particular case for it to be all just made up by Bigelow to get a couple million. Uh, we're talking about a billion billionaire here no but so, yeah, um, you know the thing that happened at skinwalker you know, ranch was that they invited i can't remember his name we didn't use it in the movie but they invited a guy from the defense intelligence agency to come out and check it out and um and, and he did and that's when he went back and got the funding you know he he experienced this for himself he was actually um you know john alexander was there the day robert bigelow bought the ranch and and a lot of the history that's being written about all this his name is is conveniently being left out but he was a big part of everything and it's it's interesting to me how how he's being written out of it um but <laughs> that's another story i guess but the uh you know, he, he went back with this guy from the DIA and they actually had an encounter and a sighting. And there's rumors that this guy was followed back by whatever entity he encountered at the ranch. And so, you know, the, the, the money came from somebody saying to, to, to the, uh, discretionary funding people, this is absolutely insane. What, what I've witnessed and, and it happened to me and we got to get to the bottom of it. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things, and that's when you start discussing in the movie, if I remember correctly, how we don't know for sure if this is, you know, if it's extraterrestrial or if it's interdimensional or what it is. We don't know, but it's something weird for sure. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, and obviously. I think you know that it, it's <laughs> yeah. we're going to find out that there's a lot of different phenomena at play that are happening through a lot of different mechanisms for a lot of different reasons. Other aliens from Zeta Reticuli and any number of extraterrestrial physical species coming here in physical craft. Uh, yeah, maybe, probably. But, you know, there could also be an advanced civilization sharing the planet with us that we don't know about. Because I think if you're, if you're a race that survives on planet Earth for any length of time, you realize that the surface is not a very safe place to be. Um, you know, every, every few centuries, every few thousand, every few million years, the entire place gets wiped out by a meteorite. So if you want to survive on planet Earth, you don't do it on the surface. So who knows? There could be somebody, something like that happening. And then as Lou says in the film, it's like, well, what's our definition of life? You know, we, we, ha we don't know. And so, um, it gives us more questions than answers. And anybody that, that just wants to cling to, no, it's this. Uh, it's, we've got to broaden our, our ability to critical think. We've got to be willing to accept possibilities that don't fit, um, you know, the narrative that, that you might be attached to. Because nothing is going to, nothing explains everything in, in this phenomenon. Right. And the, the universe is a very large and very strange place. <laughs> you know, there's room for all sorts of things. Yeah. And then, you know, then you can get into simulation theory and, and that's kind of where I'm going with, with some future projects is that if indeed we're living in, in a, you know, some variation of a construct and there seems to be a, a, a lot of, of really good evidence that that's the case, um, then anything is possible because if it's a program, you can just change the, change the code. And so, you know, the, the debates about, oh, the, are they from here? Are they from there? You know, where, where are they from? And, and people just having knocked down, drag out fights over that. That's not, you're not asking the right question. Yeah. You know, that's another point in the movie where I just totally catch Lou Elizondo. I mean, <laughs> you know it's what I'm talking about. We don't want to give it away, but um, yeah, he 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 kind of stepped in a little bit, and there's no walking back what he said. Yeah, that's yeah. You got it on tape, so yeah. We don't want to give we don't want to give too much away because we want people to go watch the movie. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I, I think yeah. you can rent it now. It's cheap. Support your local filmmakers. We're, well, I think it's it's a good note to wrap it up on. We're about an hour here, and I don't want to take too much too much of your time up. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I was really excited about doing this. Yeah, interview. thank you. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. And before we get going, um, where can people find your, your work? I think you have, uh, this is your eighth documentary, I believe. So where can they find, where can they find accidental truth and maybe some of your other stuff? Uh, other projects that you've worked on most of my stuff at this point is either on my youtube channel which is iVolve tv um and then it's all living on mufon television and so to find accidental truth just go to accidental truths with an s i couldn't get the i couldn't get the singular um accidental com, and that takes you to a page where you can click and order the movie you can see some behind the scenes videos and stuff and you can also order the merchandise like i i should add we i i am making these t-shirts that people buy myself with my own two hands i bought a machine that makes t-shirts just to get away from the computer but if you google accidental truth t-shirts we're getting ripped off by literally hundreds of other companies that have stolen my logo and are trying to sell the shirts it's it's really hard to watch so go to accidentaltruths.com it will take you to everything about the movie and get you where you want to be Okay. Thank you so much. I'll put that link in the description as well. For anybody listening, go ahead and look down at the description and you'll see that link right there. To click yeah, go on. ahead and test it. Make sure and, you, that it's right. It's a, so you're not sending people somewhere else. Yeah. So it's, it's just accidental truths with an yes, S dot com. com. Yeah. And that, what that okay. does is it forwards to a page inside MUFON television. Okay, great. Yeah. There's, there's so much more to talk about, about this movie, but you know, we don't want to give it all away. We want people to go watch it because it's really good. This is one of the better ones I've seen people. So definitely check it out for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And, and, you know, I really appreciate that you did take the time to watch the movie and, and, you know, you seem like a pretty informed guy and, and, uh, and I really appreciate the fact that you found it compelling and, and well done. It just means a lot when people that, when people enjoy it, that's really what I want the most out of all of it. 
Yeah, and like I said, you know, many times there are some bombshells in here, some stuff that I was doing double takes on, and I've been looking at this stuff for a while now. <laughs> There's some really good stuff in there, really good stuff. Well, thank you. And anytime you want to have me on again, I'm happy to talk. I've got, there's always something going on with MUFON. There's plenty more to talk about it in in ufology. And, you know, this whole nature, reality, consciousness thing is, it's it's a fascinating field to touch on too. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I would definitely would be interested in having you on again. And MUFON, just MUFON by itself is just such a huge topic that there's no end to the things we could discuss. About, yeah, you know, you know the, it's it's been around. They've a while. really risen to the occasion. We've got the it's we, our membership is at an all time high. That we have a new app. We have a so we have a map app where you can track UFO sightings. We have our own social media network. We have our own laboratories. We have our own TV studios, and we have thousands and thousands. It's 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 up around seven thousand members worldwide of people that just want to, you know, we have, we have local events. And so there's always something to do if you're a member of MUFON and it doesn't cost much. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. I'm not a member myself yet. I usually look at really, really old reports <laughs> that I can find, but yeah, I'm now, especially with the MUFON TV that I was unaware of before, I'm definitely going to look into yeah, that. Yeah. It's at MUFONtelevision.com. And if you sign up for the mid tier membership, you get it for free. It's And it includes the uh, live stream of the MUFON symposium that comes up every year. So uh, there's a lot to, a lot to discover in MUFON. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to let you go. And for everybody listening, thanks a lot for listening and keep it strange.